0: In our environment right now, particularly from um, my Democrat colleagues and and their activists, it seems more based on rage, uh, a a disdain for the president. So some of it is when you even sit down, like the other day I I did a um, thing, bipartisan. Uh, I have a fascination with technology um, providing so many solutions. And some of this was technology on environment. There's some huge breakthroughs on carbon capture and these things. And I could tell one of the Democrat activists was very mad. I was talking about, that's our issue. You're not allowed to have an opinion on it. That wasn't about facts. That wasn't about policy. That wasn't about a piece of legislation. That was just sort of inherent rage that we're tribal and you can't you know, have an expertise on part of what's ours.
1: Welcome to Article One, a show about lawmakers Legislating and the politics that make Congress work. I'm your host, Molly Hooper, a longtime Capitol Hill reporter, sharing with you my one on one conversations with Democrats and Republicans in the Senate, the House, on the trail, and behind the scenes. The voice you heard at the top of the show was Republican Rep David Schweiker. He's locked in a tough re election race in his Scottsdale, Arizona based district. We spoke at the end of September and discussed many topics, a COVID relief package, the ideological divide in Congress, how his office changed up business in the age of COVID. It involves a secret weapon with a golden Rolodex. We also touched on mail-in voting, optimism, and his ethics reprimand related to campaign finance violation in the house. If you enjoy what you hear, Please share Article 1 with a friend or a colleague. Now on to the conversation. Congressman, can you hear us?
0: I hear you quite well.
1: I'm so sorry about that. I was just explaining to Grace that I'm, I'm technologically inept these days, and it's a very good thing that I um, am not a member of Congress because that means that I don't because to- you'd to- be
0: just like the rest of us. <laughs>
1: Well, that's what I was going to say. Do you have any good remote hearing fail stories? Have oh, yeah.
0: Been- uh, though my favorite one wasn't a hearing. It was a you know meeting with the Arizona Bankers Association. And they all of a sudden started giggling. And I just realized how funny and brilliant and amusing. And then someone pointed out that my little girl had, was in the back chasing the dog, <laughs> unclothed. Oh! Now, she is only four. so.
1: Yes, yes, I get that. That's actually, that's pretty good. Can you imagine if that was ha- happened at a hearing? That would be... Well, um, we did
0: have one member of the Arizona delegation who um, called in his vote on live streaming on the back of a boat.
1: So that, who was that? Because everybody, all the Republicans I keep talking to refer to the infamous sailboat. Gre-
0: his name was Greg Stanton.
1: It was Greg and Stanton. And the amusing
0: part he wasn't, and he's actually, he's a decent human being, right? Um, but it wasn't an Arizona lake. I mean, darn it, if you're going to be an Arizona congressman out recreating, you should not be on a Utah lake. You should be on an Arizona lake.
1: I was just going to say, was it Lake Havasu?
0: <laughs> no, no. I think he was somewhere in Utah. Oh, no.
1: <laughs> well, that's, I, I was just saying, I really enjoy watching those hearings just to see what happens and what so, fails to happen.
0: So, um, I, you know, none of us are completely innocent. Um, I had an occasion where I called into the Rules Committee and did video on a couple of my amendments while standing at the Phoenix Airport. Well, I mean, you're on route to work, so that's you know, we we we, we mock it a bit, but maybe we're going to have to get our head around that some of this for a while is our normality.
1: Right, and it you know, and it, it is nice to be able to conduct business, but what I guess. As somebody who's covered Congress for so long, and I was a page when I was 16 years old in the House. Oh, in
0: that case, you saw the inner workings on it. Yes.
1: And and so the thing is, is just being in a committee room during a markup, for example, there's nothing that beats that when you're talking to your Congress, your fellow colleagues, you're trying to get an amendment passed. Oh,
0: yeah. One of the things I love about being on the Ways and Means Committee is we have a common room in the back. We don't, it's not like financial services or, you know, the Republicans go here, the Democrats go here we all hang out with each other. And if everyone could see the discussions we have in the back where you have someone like me, one of the more conservative members, who is friends with, uh, with a couple of the most liberal members, and right. we'll be in the back sort of debating what if we would do it this way. Right. And I think that, oddly enough, that human relationship and that ability to discuss in the back is one of the things that makes the committee work.
1: Right. Or not work when Bill Thomas was the chairman and he he blocked, he basically locked all the Democrats out that one time.
0: Well, but of course, he also had had the vote, so he was just going to run over everyone.
1: (laughs) But it made for great reporting. I got to tell you that much, because those Democrats were very upset. Um, but but it is it, to your point that that common room in the back of the beautiful that beautiful hearing room it's something that i think a lot of people miss when they ha- don't have the experience to be up close and personal with members of congress and the way that they interact with each other and to that point that's one of the reasons i'm starting this this blog podcast article 1 because there's so much Vitriol out there, and and Twitter Twitter sayings and statements that are just so full of fire and brimstone. And really, members of Congress are just real people, and they have a job to do, and they do it. And, and that's why I want to kind of start off with this question for you: What is the most important thing you've done for your constituents that you just
0: wish they would know? They all knew about. Oh, I've been very blessed. We've actually had some real success on a bunch of things, but there's there's these one offs that Almost no one will understand. Um, they don't get their head around. But like the progress um, I've been blessed to make on something called valley fever, which is a fungi we have out here in the desert right. that really, really affects um, a lot of people, makes them quite ill. And many just feel like they had a, a mild flu. But some people get really sick. It actually kills a lot of our dogs.
1: Right. And I'm from the Central Valley of California, so that it's a big issue with Kevin McCarthy also. Right. Well, I didn't understand until I was following along with Kevin McCarthy one time and all these people with valley fever came up. It's very specific, but it's very important. I was going to ask you, what is it? How do you explain it?
0: Well, but think of this. We believe we may be just within the next three to five years a vaccine for a fungi, which is an incredible thought because we're into our second year of the vaccine trials with dogs. And it seems to be working. Oh, wow. And look, I, I, with Kevin McCarthy's help and some dogginess on our part, we were able to move almost $100 million into research. But we were also able to get everyone to talk to each other. So you often, you know, from a press standpoint, you get credit for when you helped a new business move to Arizona, hiring people with good wages, or the things you do in the Job Act, or all the things I've been able to do in the tax reform, you know, the the the, the things here. But I will make you the argument: it's sometimes those little things, um, you know, helping the family get their daughter back from Peru when the lockdown happened. Right. Little things like that, actually, are the ones that sort of stick in your heart. Um, the other ones make better press statements.
1: Having talked to people outside the Beltway, they don't realize that members of Congress. You represent a district full of constituents, whether they're Republican or Democrat, you are their representative, and you provide a service in terms of helping them deal with federal agencies, the IRS, Social Security, Veterans Affairs, and I'm wondering what cases you've you've been getting since you've been a member of Congress. I know that's a long time. time. Also, how those cases have changed since COVID struck.
0: We did something somewhat unique in our office. Um, when we passed the CARES Act, you know, the sort of our COVID response, and with the PPP loans, you know, the payroll protection loans, those, we almost set up our our, our team, our staff as a strike force. So we went, so we did everything we could. We did, you know, big um, teletown halls. We actually did teletown halls with our East Indian community, with You know, anyone we could find that was in the entrepreneurial class that needed to understand how they could use this money to keep the relationship with their employees. Okay. And even then, we worked with a bunch of um, uh, workers who thought they were going to get laid off and had educated them to how to talk to their business owner. And so we did it in newsletters, we did it on Zoom calls, we did um, big teletown halls, which was fascinating. You know, a lot of your public who was never going to need to know what a um, payroll protection loan was, they cared because they were running around telling everyone else. Right. And so that was an occasion of when you're doing something brand new. How do you get that information out broadly? And I think we did a terrific job at that. But then we had lots of unique cases of, you know, um, some of the heartbreaking ones. Um, Grandma is in the nursing home and she's expiring. Maybe not from COVID, but from something else, and you're not able to visit her. And and how could you, you know, how do you properly intervene? Because these are the CDC rules, the state rules. At the same time, you're trying to have a heart. And we worked out one where um, they were able to have grant. They were able to talk to grandma through a window. Okay. But but it required sort of some interaction, saying, "Hey, is there something creative we can?"
1: You guys have sort of a unique perspective because your office was, and you were, were one of the first to sort of deal with having to quarantine yourselves. Didn't, didn't one of your oh, yeah. staffers, staffers had it, right? And how did that work within the office?
0: Um, surprisingly well. Um, you know, we also, th- there's some other things, you know, for part of the year, because Arizona doesn't go a day like saving time, you have a three hour time change. Um, so you were you able to use tools like that. How do you get your team to be able to work remotely with the Arizona team that was going to be required to work remotely? Um, How do you also use all these relationships you've made with churches, with outreaches, with your local hospitals, and sort of put everyone on notice of, here's how we can talk to each other. It's one of the smartest things we ever did. We hired some folks for our Arizona office who are just professionals at Casework. Oh, so wow. like one of my leads actually was the casework specialist for my Democrat predecessor.
1: Oh, wow. That's really interesting. For Harry, was that Harry Mitchell?
0: Yes. And Harry Mitchell. And then she had worked for Bob Stump before that. So so she's actually just crossed her like 26 years of doing this. But she, we, she has what we call the magic Rolodex, <laughs> you know, the golden Rolodex. You need to know someone's assistant or secretary or the person that actually does the real work. Right. You call her and we'll find it. But it's also made the quality of helping people in the Phoenix area. Um, I think we do it better than anyone because we have people like her.
1: You have Bob Stump's seat. Is that, is that?
0: No, um, the, lines have, the lines have moved fairly dramatically over the years. Remember, if you go way back then, there was a time where we had only three seats. Now we have nine.
1: That's right. when I was a page, I knew Bob Stump. He was a family sort of a, fa- a distant family friend and um, just a very nice je- congressman to talk to and always very generous with his time.
0: It's actually sort of sad we no longer have the pages.
1: Yes, it is. And we can get into that later.
0: I spent a little time as a page in our state legislature.
1: And you meet people you never would meet norm- under normal circumstances and you're thrust into an environment where you've learned so much just by yeah. being there. And it is too bad that, that they don't have that program anymore. But, but going back to the PPP funds, I'm wondering, where do you stand on this discharge petition for Steve Shabbat's bill to essentially release, I think it's, what is it, $134 million in reserves for those PPP funds?
0: Of course we should, should do that. Um, it, it's one of the great sicknesses I see in this particular election cycle, mm-hmm. where everything is seen through a partisan wedge. Right. um you know i I've, I've actually had what's a nice way to say this um a, an activist who talks to me but is on the hard left side um and he was complaining saying well this ppp thing is horrible because it goes to small business people and they're not Repu- they're democrat are not democrats they're republicans he actually saw helping small businesses save jobs in a partisan light because it was resources going to folks who, and, and, and I'm not beating up on the Democrats on that one, I'm more beating up on, we see everything through the lens right. of, of weaponization of, of everything. Weaponization of pieces of legislation, weaponization of, of the way we use social media. Right. It, it, there's an incredible darkness and, and some of it borders on just this type of hysteria um, and you are actually touching on this, Molly. Um, you might be surprised how nice members of Congress are to each other. Some of the people I'm closest to you know, are Democrats on the Ways and Means Committee as I say, you know the one gentleman he's liberal but he's not crazy but he's now he's now scared to death of his own left-wing activists because they've become so extreme
1: and republicans had that issue also sometimes i mean after the tea party you know revolution so to speak and there were a lot of republicans in the republican party um, who were concerned about getting primaried by people to mm-hmm. the right because simply because they worked with democrats on more middle of the road legislation yeah
0: I, how do you there, kind of there's both that? A, yeah there's both a comparison but there's also a chasm of difference um some of that was you know, the Tea Party movement was around certain issues. Um, I see some of what I, I, in our environment right now, particularly from um, my Democrat colleagues and their, their activists, it seems more based on rage, uh, a, a disdain for the president. So some of it is when you even sit down, like the other day, I, I did a um, thing bipartisan. Uh, I have a fascination with technology um, providing so many solutions. And some of this was technology on environment. There's some huge breakthroughs on carbon capture and these things. And I could tell one of the Democrat activists was very mad. I was talking about, that's our issue. You're not allowed to have an opinion on it. That wasn't about facts. That wasn't about policy. That wasn't about a piece of legislation. Right. That was just sort of inherent rage that we're tribal, and you can't you know, have an expertise on part of what's ours.
1: I know that it's hard to answer this question, but when you look at somebody like Nancy Pelosi, who is, she's very methodical, she's very smart, she's very um, practical, but she counts her votes and she makes sure she gets those votes, which sometimes means compromising on other issues down the line. It just makes it more difficult for somebody like a Speaker Pelosi and Speaker Boehner to a certain, you know, then Speaker Boehner to a certain extent, um, Speaker Ron, to be able to work within a caucus that's not entirely of the far left or the far right if there aren't people willing to compromise?
0: You're not going to like some of my answer. Um, I think that view um, may be aging out. Oh, it will? OK. Because be, no, because um, my my sense is the world has gotten much more complicated, particularly for our Democrat colleagues. Okay. Um, the the number of members who no longer need Nancy Pelosi's money. Remember, one of the number one reasons you become Speaker is you show up with lots and lots and lots and lots of cash to help members get elected. And so it was that power of, hey, I'm a great fundraiser. You know, whether it's been Speaker Boehner's willingness to be out there all the time or now even Kevin McCarthy or, but Nancy Pelosi was, you know, royalty in raising money. And now you see some outside groups on the left, which are raising stunning amounts of money. But what they require is fealty to some pretty extreme agendas. I see. That, so, so the leverage of walking in and saying, um, I'm gonna cut you off, is going away. So, so the complexities of holding a caucus together, or what do you do when um, what was orthodoxy today uh or, or 2 years ago let's use that as an example right today is much further to the left and now you're walking into a general election
1: right
0: where much of the public is very uncomfortable they're uncomfortable in, in a sense of what's going on in our urban areas what's coming happening in our future economic prosperity kids going back to school and yet some of these things you're almost not allowed to talk about because you will you know now you sound like you're on the opposite side from the teachers union well, you have to have that constituency. So my fear is, some of what we're seeing is the complexity, because so many groups have figured out how to basically have their own members of Congress.
1: When it comes to that, it sort of seems like nothing will get done. And it's surprising how much has been able, well, been able to sort of get done over the, I
0: know. <laughs> I see you're it, nodding, I know, because
1: now I'm like, rewinding.
0: Well, can, can I throw it one at you, and, and I don't mean to talk this much, but, you have, but you're one of the few people that has, has been at all sorts of levels looking at us. I will make you the argument, we're having the wrong argument. That's,
1: my argument is, what about earmarks? Bring them back. Get me the no, money back no, to my no. district.
0: You see, and, and I want you to think even much more revolutionary. Okay. If I, if I walked up to you right now and you put a Republican and Democrat member of Congress in a room and said, let's talk about health care. Immediately one side goes, well, the Obamacare, the ACA is wonderful this and that no. The ACA blew up, it actuarially you know crushed people and you know people had only one choice and their cost doubled. No, it's wonderful. You realize they're having a debate about financing. Right. The ACA and the Republican alternative were financing bills about health care. Right. Instead of walking up and saying, why don't we have a conversation both about financing, but also how do you revolutionize the cost? We have technology that's breaking through that could make us all so much healthier, could actually lower the cost, increase access. So I, I would use a simple example we're living right now during the pandemic, um, telemedicine.
1: Great transition, I was just gonna ask you about that.
0: So so you probably already know um, telemedicine has been you know, one of the things I think I've led on now for years, and it was hard. The number of lobbyists who would show up opposing any expansion or access to telemedicine. Right. Money.
1: Because, oh, because it would cut off their essential yep. source it's of always revenue. Look,
0: it, it's a hard thing to say, but it's br- brutality is, it's often about the money around Congress. And now we're in the middle of the pandemic, mm-hmm. um, and we see seniors have embraced it. Satisfaction is through the ceiling. Um, utilization is dramatically bigger than we ever expected. And the medical community is enjoying it. It's working, but it's an example of, you almost needed a, a crisis to be able to try something. But what if I could come to you and say, there's other things we could do in technology, whether it's the thing you can put on your wrist that now manages, uh, monitors your blood oxygen, your pulse rate. My eye my Apple
1: watch.
0: <laughs> well, you see, you heard the next generation will actually have an oxygen sensor. In. And it turns out the algorithms, when it sees changes in your oxygen and your body temperature, can start to tell you, hey, Molly, you're getting sick. The ability to use Think Forward and using technology to change the price mm-hmm. of healthcare is the holy grail. Because Congress can sit and fight all day long about who should pay, who should get, and who gets subsidized, but we're terrified to have the tougher conversation, what we should be paying. And how do we change that cost curve? And it's the same thing in technology and environment and so many other things. I will argue the press asks the wrong questions. Okay. And members of Congress, we've memorized our talking point. And well, how that often is, do we that is true. And, oh, so true? And how often do we sound like we're giving you the same talking point we used two elections ago and last election because it's been poll tested? We know it doesn't offend anyone, it doesn't hurt our fundraising. The press um, sort of knows how to react to it. But when you sit down and say, Can I show you a bunch of alternatives of technology that could crash the price of healthcare and improve um, improve accuracy and accessibility and change. The and and change that cost curve.
1: Right.
0: When you're on deadline, how do you ever find time to think it through?
1: Oh, it's very difficult to think it through. You're right. It is easier almost to, to get the talking point and to say, "I know that this person's position is this. This person's position is this. Um, are they going to be able to get something done? When will the vote be? How many votes do they have? How? Many? Mm-hmm. And it, it it's it's more difficult to get into the weeds sometimes, in part because. Just of the, the nature of newsrooms that that are either going away in local government, and, you know, in local areas, and essentially deferring to the big newspapers, but but where's the diversity of reporting? You don't have those reporters that are focusing so much on more like single issues, like somebody like a Robert Perry.
0: That's program. a great way to phrase it. It's it
1: take it takes a lot of work to do that because yes, we'll have this is a good idea, that's a good idea, but you have to kind of consider what your your Reporting, and you have to ask questions. You have to ask more questions and more questions. How feasible is this? How much does this really cost? And that takes time. And everybody is on this Twitter deadline. It seems like.
0: And and I would argue with you that Twitter, in some ways, has destroyed thinking. Because the ability to have an intellectually robust conversation, saying, um, "Here's some opportunities," and a lot of these opportunities we haven't put into their partisan corners yet. We eventually will, but they require, you know, sometimes a half an hour of conversation just to understand the concept of, for those of us who genuinely believe we can have a revolution in the cost of healthcare using technology, Right. but you have to provide a dozen examples for someone to accept that. How do you put that on a Twitter? It makes it <laughs> but, but, but I completely understand your point. Yeah, but we've turned reporting it's something it's trite and how many of our reporter friends actually functionally get paid on how many clicks they get
1: that's a very good question
0: and so um, and there's a there's a rumor out there and and I'd love to bet it that even some of our network news you know mm-hmm. our cable network news almost has polling or algorithms that tell them if you use these words your viewer retention goes up
1: now I can't say that for certain, but I know that there is a lot of, I know that people like to use hot words or whatever they are—the keywords that will show up in various algorithms, so that it'll drive more um, traffic to your site, so to speak, or whatever. But think it
0: is. about that. What happens now that some of the rage that's in our society is actually a business model? And, and how do you try? I to should ask you: Where
1: that? do we go from here now? Where do we go from here?
0: I'm actually fairly optimistic because I think the public is a lot smarter than the rest of us. You know, sort of the con- the concept of the crowd does eventually figure it out. And I think a lot of the public understands the the, the level of manipulation mm-hmm. that's been thrown at them of how often do you see a particularly on on certain web-based news services? Do you see a headline, and by the time you get to the third paragraph, you realize, this story has nothing to do with this headline, but the headline made you click on it, and therefore they got 50 cents from the advertiser that was in the banner ad.
1: The clickbait, so to speak, that can be very unfortunate. I think that also newspapers, and this is something that um, Judiciary Committee has been dealing with in terms of a lot of newspapers aren't necessarily getting all that those advertising dollars because Google has found a way to sort mm-hmm. of circumvent it. And they're not being regulated. And so, so newspapers have to get creative, and this is just an example, as to how they actually drive traffic to their site and not to the site that Google kind of like circumvents.
0: So, so, so if you talk to some of the print reporters, and, and I'm blessed to have a couple that are old friends, they will tell you they almost are judged on how many clicks, how hot their story was. Well, now take that to some of our electronic. There's been stories around some of the others that part of the ginning up of sort of anger and rage is a business model to keep viewer engagement. Um, You know, if I can get you to stay, if I can get, you know, a third of my audience to stay for an extra 90 seconds, what's that worth in advertising? revenue? And it's
1: just a lot of money. But
0: so back to your question before, I believe the public, is sort of figuring out that some of this is just lunacy. And they're sort of looking for, they're either going to tune out or look for alternatives. And I think some of that rotation is going on right now.
1: Tell me a little bit about this the this access to post-COVID-19 telehealth act. Where is that exactly? And, and how optimistic well, are you that the president will sign something like that?
0: I think the president would sign it. The harder part is getting it through part of the process look i'm blessed to have some democrats who have said they're willing to help us work on this most folks don't understand you have All some the... good
1: ones yeah you have mike thompson peter welch
0: yeah and, um, mike, and i will tell you mike thompson has been wonderful on this and peter welch is my friend he's hiked the grand canyon with me oh so, <laughs> that must
1: have been interesting the...
0: and think of this you know ideologically he and i so the crazy thing is you know, I lean a little bit libertarian Peter does too, so on some things, we actually sort of the whole, you make the full circle. But the point I'm going is why that legislation is so critical is Mm -hmm. this access to telemedicine goes away when the pandemic is declared over. And so everyone who's now learned they can talk to their medical professional um, and there's another generation of technology coming where um, you're talking to your medical professional, but they're reading your vital signs because you put the thing on your wrist, or taped it to your chest. Um, there's another generation of technology that's here, um, things you could blow into, and it and the algorithm can analyze that. Um, imagine having almost that lab in your medicine cabinet for when you do your kettle medicine visit. Wow. And and this is. This is not only the future, but much of this technology is already here, unless the pandemic ends and we're not able to extend this access and reimbursement to telemedicine.
1: So what steps are you guys taking right now to move it through the process?
0: A lot of education first. Um, A number of members that had no idea that this goes away. Um, I didn't so, realize it
1: went away until I saw you on the house floor, I think a few weeks ago. No, I'm that, serious. And I, you were giving like a special order or a five-minute speech, and I just thought, this is going see, away?
0: Well, you're perfect. You see, that's why you do it. Often, uh, folks don't understand why do you go to the floor with all these boards, and I think I hold the record for the most charts, but, but I find the visual helps and stand <laughs> there for a half an hour and talk about things that are complex, sometimes a little geeky. And it's because there are reporters who are insane, like you, that have these SPAN <laughs> up on their television. I like to think wonky. A, yeah, okay. I, I'll, I actually prefer wonky or geeky. <laughs> um, but you also have staff. So some of those speeches, you're almost solely talking to the staff saying, here's right. an actual solution. Sure. Instead of the silly stuff we do, which is just rhetorical.
1: And do you hear feedback after you gave your speech recently? I mean, were members calling your office or were there staff members? You have to do it office? over
0: and over and Never. over. And then you know um, what we used to call the you know um, elevator conversation. You know, your elevator well, how do you have those. And it's much harder right now in the time of COVID, where right. members are all so separated. So there's a couple of members who I know would love some of this. Who would be willing to advance some of these options? And because their last name it starts with a different letter, you don't get to see them on the floor. So you're doing a lot of, you know, a lot of time on the telephone, a lot of texting back and forth, saying, "Have you looked at this? Can you have your staff read this? Can I explain this?" Um, and look. It's and it's interesting one that you
1: said that about the, about the, the last names. For people who don't know, members of Congress have to essentially vote according to the letters of their last names, so that there's the social distancing rules in effect. So you're stuck with the S's.
0: <laughs> yes. So um, and on occasion you cheat a little bit to so you can get within properly socially distanced to one of your um, folks who I think is intellectually ready to embrace something different than the talking points they've memorized. And we're making some progress.
1: How optimistic are you that Congress will pass something before the recess to deal with COVID, a fifth version of the CARES Act?
0: Yeah, look, we need to do something on some things on the payroll protection. There's some opportunities there. That's why we have the discharge petition. And I'll let you explain the discharge petition later. There's also some industries that are doing remarkably well, particularly here in the Phoenix Scottsdale area, But there's a lot that aren't. Take a look at our hotels and our tourism. Some of our restaurants that cater to that population have been just brutalized. And I'm hoping we can step up and stop this crazy impasse of, you know, it's everything or nothing and help them. Um, I'm hopeful. I I thought last week we saw some signs. But, you know, I'm inherently really optimistic. I'm 58. My wife's 58. And we have a five-year-old.
1: You, you get to be optimistic. about it. Now, that, now that's another story. Wow. How, that keeps you young.
0: Oh, and exhausted.
1: And exhausted. You know, you've had such an interesting career in the House because you came in with the, the so-called the Tea Party Revolution, taxed enough already. Then, essentially, you had to run against an incumbent member, in represent, then Representative Ben Quayle. You won. But you had you were taken off the financial services committee. You went back on this financial services committee, and you end up on the Ways and Means Committee. How does a member of Congress do all that? Up and down, and up and down, and taking on members. I mean, that's that's not easy.
0: No, but you and, have. And look, um, if I have a particular weakness, is I need to learn to be much more social. Oh. Um, but no, you understand this. it, it sure you know, when you're going to listen to someone, sometimes it's because you have relationships with them. Of course. And uh, it's like some of the things I've gone through recently. You you throw yourself into your work and you're trying to become, you know, the the expert on this part of the tax code or the expert on this part of trade or the technology. And the reality, it consumes stunning amounts of time to be good at this. But when you do that, you also fail to do some of that, just normal human relationships, uh, right. you know, right. going out and getting a hamburger with with a number of members, so those things. Right. And, but oddly enough, when you don't have those personal relationships, and you're seen to be the guy that's often challenging the orthodoxy, why don't we look at, you know, this part of? And I went through this in financial services. Why don't we look at Dodd Frank this way and realize there's a technology solution? to go around much of this regulatory state, keep people safe, lower the costs, and have a vibrant upsurge. And people just stare at you saying, that's not what we're having a debate on David, we're debating this. So you're trying to figure out how do you provide opportunities for solutions and do it humbly um, instead of sometimes coming in like a, you know, um, a hurricane saying, okay, I have the problem all solved. And so look, if, if we sometimes have personality flaws, I think that's mine I and we're working on it. We're trying to do a much better job just building personal relationships and providing saying, here's another opportunity. Why don't we think about it?
1: I didn't mean to make that sound like it was a negative thing because I mean it as a positive thing. I mean, you, you, you started on the Financial Services Committee which is, is still considered an A, then you were taken off you went back on two years later. So obviously something happened in the interim where you worked with members mm-hmm. and, and whatnot. And
0: now I'm on the upper diets of Ways and Means.
1: That's like the A plus committee. So so you've, you've obviously been able to figure out how to navigate those sort of legislative landmines in a way. And um, that's that's not an easy thing to do in, in the house.
0: You have a lot of very smart people, very ambitious, Um, members. But we all come with our own specialties. You know, um, you know, the person sitting next to you used to be an expert in automobile financing. This person over here knows the agriculture world. Um, And so you're often trying to find how you provide most service to your district, protect people in Arizona, but then also do what's right for the country. And so that's some of what you're doing, and then do it in a way where, um, you can present it where everyone else can also take ownership of the ideas, instead of sort of walking in and you know giving a fancy speech,
1: gangbusters and looking fancy schmancy, <laughs> and and everybody sort of says, okay, that was five minutes of something, and then they get up and they leave the dais, you know.
0: Exactly, and
1: sort of a showman type of situation.
0: Yeah, and and I'm inherently actually rather shy, so I may I may have chosen the wrong profession um
1: well no actually i've I've actually talked to quite a few members who are shy but they've been compelled to serve and to do it in a way that's most effective for the people that that they care about and they love and that may be in in public
0: service well if you've ever spent time in the phoenix scottsdale area um i think you will be just impressed on the vibrance the number Mm -hmm. of people who are choosing to move here and and improve their lives and their families um you know, it, it, we've come so far, and, and so in many ways, I'm incredibly blessed to have the area I get to represent. Um, right. I, the food is great, the lifestyle is amazing. So what do you do when you get, the guy gets on an airplane, flies back to Washington, DC? How do you make things work as well as possible for your folks in your your, your neighborhood, um, but also do something that's good for the country? And And that's where sometimes being a little one-off but saying, I think there's different ways we can do so many of these things. Because as you know, technology and and the revolution that's here, the thought experiment's really simple. If Blockbuster Video had hired enough lobbyists, it would probably still be running today. Um, But yet, none of us now go down to the neighborhood shopping center and get a little silver desk. We hit a button on our computer, and that's only a decade ago. That's wild. So why can't we have those sorts of Improvements in healthcare, and environment, the way we have financial markets work. And it's just, it's a unique argument. And I think we're making some progress.
1: You kind of touched on this in your previous answer. And I think it has to do with the ethics reprimand. But I want to ask you about that in in a different way. The campaign finance violations, it happened, you paid the fine, it's over. But my question to you is, what was that like from a member of Congress's perspective going through an ethics violation in the House. Not a lot of people know about the whole ethics process to begin with. And whenever something happens, members of the media don't, can't really talk to the lawmaker who's going through it. And they don't really know what it's like to be, to be investigated by your peers, just on a human level. What was that like?
0: It, it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't pleasant. Um, and a lot of this was, most people don't understand. You're the member of Congress. You get 100% responsibility for everyone you hire, whether it be the outside company that's supposed to be managing your compliance work or this and that. Mm-hmm. And at a certain point, the rules are the rules. You you explain it. What has surprised me is how many members, uh, both Democrats and Republicans, have come up to me and said, oh, that thank God it's you because we went through the same thing. And and seeing what happened to you, we, we got ours fixed. Our, we now have another firm watching the firm that was in charge of watching.
1: I was wondering about that because it seems like I've heard something similar oh, from yeah. other members of Congress. Who...
0: At, at a certain point, the system is set up that whether you even knew something was going on, you have the responsibility. So right. at a, you step up, you take the hit, um, you pay the fine. Um, I've been incredibly grateful. The constituents, you know, the people I work for, have been very understanding, and other members of Congress have been very helpful and understanding. So, a lot okay. of us will go through these things. So you just move on and do your best. And now you have another firm watching the firm.
1: And now you have another firm watching the firm. Oh, good, some more, some more people, some more outsiders to pay. Um, and finally, let me let me just ask this question about Arizona. There's some really hotly contested elections. In the state, including of course the Senate election, Martha McSally. How is the Supreme Court nomination fight? How is that playing out in Arizona?
0: I, I wish I could. I wish I could give you an honest, credible answer. I think it's too early yet. Okay. Um, because we do have, uh, but a lot of the political class now mm-hmm. understands Martha McSally's because she's appointed. Right. She might have to. You know, that seat may be swapped if the day the election is certified, um, and who knows if the appointment has been finished. Um, And I think it's sort of honing, to use that term, a a focus on why some of these are so important. It's it's my theory, there's only a few percent of society or communities who pay lots of attention to politics. For them, it's their sports league. The rest of Americans are living their lives and raising their kids and trying to survive you know, getting ready for retirement, and those of us in the political class somehow think that five percent of pays attention to us is everyone, and it's not. But when you have really important things like this, how do you communicate it um, to those folks who are just trying to live their lives and avoid our kind at all possible? So
1: So it's too early to tell. It is. OK, here, here's one more, though. What do you think about the election turnout? There's, there's all these predictions that there's going to be this catastrophe and everything's going to be so, we won't know the result of the election unless the Supreme Court intervenes. What are you seeing on the ground in terms of people getting out to vote? I saw you voted the other day, but um, in terms of like early voting and mail-in voting, what's your take on
0: Okay, um, First off, for those of uh, an Arizona perspective, in 1992, Arizona passed an early balloting um, initiative. So okay. for you know how many years now, we've actually been voting through the mail. Now, you, it's an optionality type system. You can sign up and be on a permanent early ballot, or you can actually go into a polling place. About 80% of our vote will come in through the mail. So our ballots are in people's mailboxes. on. Or they're on their way out on October 7th.
1: Okay,
0: So we functionally have a month-long election in Arizona, which changes sort of the election dynamics. Right. So we're really good at this. What worries me is if you look in some of the polling, you'll see um, lots of Democrats are fearful of voting in person, and lots of Republicans are fearful of the post office and shenanigans. Is it those two things? that changed the dynamics on election day, both in Arizona and across the country. Um, we're actually really good at our vote through mail early ballot system. We don't even have absentee ballots here. Uh, because oh, I didn't
1: realize that. you get
0: to sign up for vote through the mail.
1: That's so interesting. I, I have heard from people who have states like that. I mean, Oregon maybe is another example where they've sort of got this down because mm-hmm. they've been doing it for a while, the mail-in ballots.
0: But it really did take us a decade to get good at it. And so you can see an intense concern of a state that says, we're just going to mail ballots to everyone or do this and that. And you're sitting and raising your eyebrows saying, do you understand how long it took Arizona to get good at this? And to think some states are going to do it in in this sort of chaotic environment. That's what worries me.
1: Well, will they have to hire more people? The states have to hire more people
0: to to process? It's more than that. It's so much more than that. Because what are the rules? Right. What are the rules if um, someone's had a stroke and their signature doesn't look right? How do you get back in touch with them? How do you contact? In, in in Arizona, we believe, last election cycle, we had a number of illegal ballot harvesting. In California, ballot harvesting is legal. Here in Arizona, it is not. But you can see the heat map and say, wow, how did all these people all vote on the same day through the same post office. Um, We actually have heard stories of something called granny harvesting, where activists are going to nursing homes and building relationships with the nursing staff. Um, So when those ballots get mailed, you you walk down the hall and help everyone fill out their ballot. How do you prevent things like that? So those aren't things that happen at the ballot collection tabulation center. They're happening in the field. Uh. And that's the fragility, because it's easy to sort of speechify about. Well, they did not going to count these ballots right, or they're going to need lots of lawyers. It requires lots of work. Right. To get activists to go visit every nursing center in someone's district and make sure the nurses understand, or or whoever the staff may be, right. is a better way to say it. Um, that here's the rules of how this has to happen.
1: Right. Well, and then it always it's all complicated, of course, because of COVID. Because how, for better or for worse you know, can people even get close enough to say, hey, this is what we need you to do.
0: And therefore, you understand um, how some of this has been laid in motion in the beginning right. of the year.
1: Right.
0: And those of us on the more conservative side are just now sort of figuring out saying, you know, the Democrat Act, the Democrats are doing what? They have how much money to do what? Right. Um,
1: so we'll see. We'll see how it all shakes out. But um Thank you so much for talking to me. I, I'm going to be sure to ask Peter Welch about the the trip to the Grand Canyon.
0: Oh, think? he is a he is a hiking machine.
1: <laughs> he looks like a hiking machine. He, he is. He looks like a hiking machine. Um, well, thank you again so much.
0: Um, you know, it's part of your obligation is to encourage people to come to your community and spend money. So please, come <laughs> to Arizona and spend money.
1: Okay, I'll do
0: And that. see the Grand Canyon.
1: Yes, I do want to see the Grand Canyon. Talk about social distancing. It's like the perfect place.
0: <laughs> it is. All right, you're wonderful and <laughs> please you. take care.
1: That was Representative David Schweikert of Arizona's 6th District. On the next episode, you'll hear from Democratic Representative Anthony Brindisi who's also running for re-election in a very tough district. He's actually facing the opponent he defeated last election, former Congresswoman Claudia Tenney. Thank you for listening to Article 1. Again, if you enjoyed what you heard, please share the show with a friend, leave a rating or review. If you'd like to reach out to me, you can find me at article1podcast at gmail.com or my Twitter handle is at Molly Hooper. Thank you to Grace White for setting up the interview. And until then, I reserve the right to revise and extend my remarks.